Would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 12 through 18. I remind you this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him in the holy mountain. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for the the blessing of being able to open that word together with your people again afresh, to be renewed in the word of God. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us insight such that Christ would preach to us from the word, We pray, Lord, for that attestment of the Holy Spirit uh, in our inner being, that we would believe and trust, and Lord, that you would cause this to bear fruit in our lives this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. There's an organization called the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and they've published what's called the, the Jesus Myth by Barbara G. Walker, and her subtitle is, The New Testament Writings Are Hardly More Reliable Than Fairy Tales. And of course, you can read all sorts of things, everything that she writes in her uh, short article is rather spurious, easily disproved, uh, hysterical, quite frankly. She's a hysterical feminist uh, and an atheist uh, who is determined in the worst way to Fight against God. I, my, my greatest question for atheists today is, why do you so feel the need to so hate and contend against God? If he's fictitious, if you don't believe and God is not there, why are you so angry? Well, she is an angry uh, feminist, like I said. and she, she quotes Tom Harper's book uh, called The Pagan Christ, He says this great world religion actually rests on a foundation of falsehood and forgery. And she asks, uh, seemingly with incredulity, she says, the fundamentalist question is, do you believe in Jesus? And it's usually simplified by a yes or a no, but do you believe that Jesus was a a God-begotten, virgin-born, yet somehow human miracle worker who died long ago, yet still lives and will return to earth when the world ends, which is going to happen any day now? Uh, Yes and no. I don't like how she stated everything, but nonetheless, uh, what she says about Jesus or what the Bible affirms about Jesus that she echoes 
Amen and yes. Or do you believe that Jesus was one-third of a Trinitarian God who, though supposedly omnipotent, could think of no better way to forgive human sins than to have himself crucified? Again, filled with misunderstanding, but yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the third, uh, second person of the Trinity, and in fact, that according to the will of God the Father, in the covenant of redemption, the Lord Jesus willingly died for sinner's sake. Or do you believe that Jesus was the only begotten son of a cruel father who demanded his painful death? You see how much she misunderstands? You see how far she falls short? There's a movie recently or some time ago called Zeitgeist, and in it they posit the myth that Jesus and the account of Jesus is a myth based upon the story of the Egyptian god Horus. Somehow Horus came before Jesus, and because Horus was before Jesus, the account of the Gospels is based upon all of the accounts of Horus. However, Horus is explicitly and determinedly different than Jesus. Nothing of what Christ is, does, did, or who he is, is in any way reflective of the god Horus. But there are many who are still questioning the same concerning Jesus. They look at the, the biblical accounts, the gospel accounts of the life of Christ, and they deny the historicity of Christ. They deny the actual presence of Christ, the Son of God, in human form on this earth. People claim that the accounts of Jesus, are, as recorded in the, the New Testament, are simply borrowed pagan folklore such as the stories of uh, Osiris and Dionysus and Adonis and Attis and Mithras and Horus, as we've said. Even Dan Brown in that spurious and foolish book, The Da Vinci Code, says nothing in Christianity is original. Well, there's a man who doesn't understand even what he's even saying. The foolishness of children is better than the nonsense of what he writes in the Da Vinci Code. Well, this is nothing new. That's the good news. The Apostle Peter knew of such persons as these. In fact, he will write in this chapter about that very thing. He will give us a, a prelude of what he's going to say later on in chapter 2 and later in 3, but especially, too, he talks about false teachers and false prophets who rise up amongst the people in chapter 2 and who secretly introduce destructive heresies, denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Even this week, he'll refer to these cleverly devised tales, and he seeks to undermine the cleverly devised tales of those who would stand up in the church and say, I have a greater understanding of Jesus Christ than you. I have a new word of revelation from the Lord. I want to teach you the real pathway to God, and let's destroy the myths of who Jesus was. It's bizarre to me that people write against Christ and, and posit that he is merely a myth, and yet who still cling to the idea in their articles, what we really want is a pure spirituality. What we need to get back to is, a, is an honest spirituality, and yet they've undermined the only honest and true spirituality 
and that is in Christ Jesus. When people tell you, I'm I'm a spiritual person, they're lying to you. When they tell you, I'm I'm a spiritual person, you need to ask, well, what does that mean? Spiritual means that in some way you are connected to God, that God has reconciled you to himself, that the Spirit of God is living within you, that the Christ is the one in whom you hope, that Christ Jesus, he is the Savior. If you're spiritual, you're connected to God, and you're connected to all that God is connected to, such as the church. And you love the things that Christ loves, and you love the thing which Christ gave his life for, the church. You love what Christ is ruling over and has deposited his word within, the the church. You love God's people, the people for, for whom Christ gave his life. And for whom he died. Well, the passage before us this morning undermines every false notion of spirituality, every false idea or suggestion that uh, that Christ and all that the Gospels contain of him are neither contradictory nor are they mythical, but that rather they are eminently truthful. There there are two things that come to us from the passage this morning. One is the vital and sacred task of remembering. The vital and sacred task of remembering. And two, the substance or the nature of what must be remembered. So Peter writes to these individuals and he is essentially sending them an epistle in a sermonic form, in a didactic form, in a form in which he is undermining untruth and asserting what is true. And he says, I'm always going to remind you of these things. And what is he reminding them of? Well, verses 3 through 11. You see, because he said this very thing in verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities after he has reviewed them is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. In the context of forgetting Peter is going to tell us you need to be reminded. You need to remember. And so what would they be inclined to forget? Or how would they come to a position of forgetting? Uh, What are they forgetting? Well, they're forgetting that the, the divine power of God is granted to us, to all God's people, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. He has affirmed the necessity of being uh, diligent, of of pursuing faith, or or of strengthening faith, pursuing moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. And he has clarified to these New Testament believers that if, in fact, though they are far from the church and seemingly far away from the center of God's people, they long to be there, they feel that absence. Brethren, if you're diligent to make certain of these things, of pursuing these things, and of God's choosing and of calling you, and you practice these things, these things are increasing, then you will never stumble. You'll never forget. In this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And so in verse 12, having said all those things, he says, look, I'm going to continue to remind you of this. 
It's so important, I'm going to remind you again. Have you ever had to remind someone at home about something that you thought, I don't think they consider it as important as I do. And so you go to them again and again. Look, remember, tomorrow, 3 o'clock, I need to be picked up while I'm at the doctor's. When I'm done with the appointment, you better pick me up. And so and so, your, your loved one or your friend is saying, well, sure, of course I'll be there. And you're thinking in your heart of hearts, I don't think this is important as to them as, as it is to me. Well, then you're standing there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and your friend hasn't showed up. Well, that's what forgetfulness is like. And frankly, aren't we forgetful people? We forget a lot. At 55, I'm forgetting more and more and more, and it's frightening to me. Thankfully, I still have my wits about me. I, I know how to do the essential things I have to do, but I'm forgetting details about places, names. Sometimes things won't come to me, but for a few minutes, and to be quite frank, we are forgetful people, not simply because we get older, but because we, we forget, we tend to forget the things that are of less importance to us. We talk about this in our family, and we talk about facts and learning things and about use, you know, useless knowledge, you know, that kind of useless knowledge about something that someone will say, well, let me explain the process of this to you, uh, analytical physics or whatever the subject may be, and you're like, well, I only have so much space in my brain uh, this is what my wife loves to tell me. She'll say, I only have so much space, usable space in my brain. I'm not going to take it up with that. Sorry. Uh, and, and I love her for that. She will, she will tell me, look, I want to use the space that remains up here for the essential things that are important and not the, the adiophora, the things which do not matter. And so there are things that I'll say, well, did you know? And she'll say, I don't care. And there are other things that she'll appreciate because they relate to things that are important to her, things which she's learned about in the past. And to be quite frank, I do the exact same thing. There are things that are stated to me that I don't really remember because they're either not a priority to me or because I've, I've adopted the same mantra. I only have so much gray matter here. I need to make good and wise use of it, especially as I get older. There's only so much that I can remember. And I've started making similar choices. Well, forgetfulness is something that all of us struggle with here in this world. And Peter is saying, look, as long as I'm in this world, I'm going to remember this. And as I remember it, I'm going to remind you. This reminder is fueled by Peter's awareness of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is making clear of him or to him that the putting off of his body will be soon. In other words, Peter has somehow been made aware that he's going to die soon. Now, is he referencing John 21 verses 18 through 19, where Jesus clarifies to him that he's going to die and the manner in which he's going to die? Or has the Lord Jesus in some way spoken to him or led him to a conviction that I'm not long for this world, I'm going to die soon? Maybe he has a sense of it. And so Peter says, I'm prepared to make every effort until I'm gone to make sure you remember these things. Now, Peter is writing to the people that he identifies very clearly in verse 12. I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. 
The people to whom he's writing, they already know he's preaching to the choir. Years ago, when I was teaching something, someone said, look, you're preaching to the choir. That may be true, but the Apostle Peter says we need to be reminded of certain things that we may not forget them. He's writing to Christians who are vacillating in their Christian lives because they're struggling because they are far distance from the, the center of the church. The apostles are not present there. Perhaps they may be visited on occasion, but nonetheless, they, they feel the absence. They are also persecuted. They feel themselves to be aliens in this world, exiles, as it were. And Peter says, look, you've been established on this foundation. You know these things. The things which I'm telling you are not new to you. You've been established in the truth. They aren't people who have gone to a present-day church where you don't hear anything about theology, where you don't get any truth. It's all an experience. I think it's very, very important that we understand the importance of becoming part of a congregation of believers where the Word of God is preached and taught to such an extent that you can't escape it. If you're looking for an experience and you're a deeply spiritual being, a deeply spiritual person, and you really want the experience to carry you through, Peter is making it clear in the passage to this group of believers that it's only on the foundation of the truth that's going to sustain them after he's gone. That what they need to do is remember the essentials of theological truth. They need to remember things which are essential to the Christian life. They need to remember the things that they, they came to believe at first. It really undermines the concept of your truth or living out your truth. What is that nonsense? There's only one thing which is true in the world. The word of God is the only rule for faith in life. Last week uh, during our vacation, we went to a Orthodox Presbyterian church up in uh, Bangor, Maine. We walked in. We didn't know any people. We didn't know the preacher, the pastor. We didn't know anyone. But But we pulled in and... Walked inside the church, people introduced us in some way, we were handed a bulletin with a smile, we sat down, and you know what we did? We worshipped in precisely the same way in which you did. It was a delight to our soul. There were three more songs, lots of songs, but it was a delight. The preacher preached for about as long as this church's preacher does, and it was a blessing to our soul. We sang the same songs, as it were. We, we, we read the same word. And there was a lot of scripture readings. There was a call to worship. There was a benediction at the end. There were songs. There was the Lord's Prayer. There was a confessional statement. There was a covenant renewal worship service, much like what we practice on the Lord's Day. There was something about a reminder of the fact that, well, we don't worship God according to our will. Thus, we have this great variety and innovation. No, we worship the Lord according to what he and his word identifies as acceptable worship to him. The word of God is the only rule for faith in life. Do you know God's truth? Is your life established in his truth? Have you believed the truth that Jesus Christ is 
is the Savior, that you have sinned against the living God, that you are guilty before God in his bar of righteousness, that you could never meet the expectations of his holiness, and that your only hope is to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Barring that, there is no hope for you. Barring your trust and faith in Christ Jesus and in these essential truths, there is no nothing for your future except the judgment, the righteous judgment of God. But there is relief. There is grace even now extended to you in the word of God. If you would be stirred up this morning, uh, Peter writes to these young believers or these. Yeah, they are relatively young believers. The, the, the whole church is relatively young. They are new in a sense that Christ has come. He is fresh in their mind and their thinking. And he says, I want to stir you up. I'm going to remind you of these things. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Stir you up to revive you, to to arouse you, to awaken you, to replenish you. uh, What may have need of being restored to, to bring you back to a position in which you were before. <clears throat> Many of us know what it is on our computers to refresh a web page uh, in order to get the page to, to be renewed, to come back up and to be renewed with all of its various uh, connections. Christian people are in need of revival. We need to be reminded, to be renewed, to be revived, to be re-aroused. So Peter says, consider it. This is the right thing for me to do as long as I live. And so there's something of a recognition of the fact that God's people are always in a position of need of revival, of being aroused and renewed, of being awoken. We can grow cold, can't we? Lethargic, beaten down, distracted discouraged waters poured on the fire uh, recently this last earlier portion of the spring we went out into the woods of a thousand acre swamp uh, sandusfield state forest and we camped out and when we did we went to bed and the fire was there we had a full roaring fire it was a good six feet high uh, we were warm we had a delightful time there were no bears or anything that was going that were going to harm us we awoke in the morning and the fire was out And all we had to do was to uh, move around the coals in the fire, put down some uh, fire fuel, and and immediately uh, the fire sprang to life with some pine needles and other such things that were there. You see, because even though this fire had died down substantially with a little bit of fuel, with a little bit of arousal, as it were, it would revive. All of us, I think, are in varying states of need with regard to revival. We need to be aroused, don't we? Aren't we prone to forget the things of God that first led us to an amazing recognition of the truth of the gospel? Do you remember what you first did when you became a Christian? Do you remember what it was like and, and how you would awaken in the morning and how you would go to sleep at night? The new hope that you had found in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, an extraordinary new relationship with God that you had come to. Your sins had been cast behind the back of God. Jesus Christ, who was your judge, your jury, was now your Savior. 
Do you remember that day? Do you remember what it was like shortly afterwards as you faithfully told people, yes, I'm a new believer in Christ Jesus. I've been born again. Do you remember what it was like to tell other people about the hope that you had in Christ Jesus? Do you remember telling your loved ones, your mother, your father, your grandmother, your friends, I'm a Christian now. My sins are forgiven. Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus in Revelation, in the first few chapters, and he says, look, you're, you're neither cold nor hot. He tells the church, you've left your first love. You've forgotten the things that you knew at first. Therefore, remember. Remember. We need to remember, don't we, where we've come from. We need to remember and awaken from our tiredness. Remember what God has done for us. We may have many complaints about what we think our lives should look like. And we may have many different complaints against God over the course of our lives and our days, how they have fallen out and where we are currently spiritually. But I'd urge you to recognize how many of those struggles are simply a result of our forgetfulness. Perhaps you're going through the motions Without passion, you come to church on the Lord's Day and you leave unmoved and you go home and you promptly forget. You go on with all the events of the Sunday afternoon that you most enjoy, the rest, the TV, the football game. I hope you don't watch football games on the Lord's Day. I hope that somehow, someway you make use of the day for the glory of God. That you truly rest. That you enjoy your families. That you eat good food, that you rejoice in the Lord, and give thanks, and talk about godly things, and you calm yourself, and you forget your worldly occupations, and you spend some time, you take your shoes off, and you close out the day with a thankfulness to the Lord on the last moment as you take your last breath before you fall asleep. Truth ignites, dear friends. And the truth is that the, the solution for our malady of forgetfulness is that we need a greater understanding and a greater consumption of the truth. You might say to me this morning, you know, I'm really discouraged. I don't see much progress in my Christian life. And I, my answer to that is going to be, well, what are you reading? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Are you listening to good sermons? Are you listening to Bible studies? Are you are you coming to Bible study? Are you coming to church prayerfully? Are you praying the night before, Lord God, help me in my spiritual condition to be renewed in you? Truth ignites the soul. What you need is the great doctrines of the faith. Are you reading some systematic theology? Are you reading through Romans, uh, through the great... Uh, exposition of biblical truth? Are you building up yourself in gospel truth and its implications? Peter is clarifying what the truth is in this passage. And what he does at the end is he tells them what they are to believe and remember. But we are people who go through motions without passion. We 
we ought to have for the Lord. And one of the greatest needs for the modern church is a little less passion about, I hate to say it, but Buzz Lightyear or Woody and the little, I forget her name, Bo Peep, the sheep herder, going into the pulpit on Sunday morning at Saddleback at one of the largest churches in California and somehow beginning the worship of the living God in these ridiculous costumes and nonsensical statements to one another rather than proclaiming the word of God. It it tells me that they don't take seriously enough their calling. It tells me that they don't take it seriously at all, that We are to be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing us. For as long as we practice these things, you'll never stumble. And that Peter who says, "I'm, I'm going to make use of the time that I have on this earth, and for as long as I'm here, I'm going to remind you of these things. Rather, they are more concerned to be popular and to make certain that when people come to church, they get a free movie ticket. Our great concern should be That when people come to Grace Presbyterian Church, they're going to hear the truth. And they're going to see people who love the truth of God. And when people introduce themselves to them, they're going to be in, in, in their own secret place of their soul, praying that God would lead them to all truth. And that those sinners, and in some ways hypocritical as all sinners are, Nonetheless, all of us are pursuing the Lord and we love the Lord and we are pursuing all truth and God is renewing us in his truth day by day. People love the passion of music. They love going through the motions, but what we really need to have is a passion for God. We need to put ourselves in the way of truth. We are to encourage ourselves in the things of God And in biblical truth, Colossians 2 says, set your mind on things above and not on things which are on the earth. These New Testament believers needed that reminder too. We wander because we have forgotten. And the Bible is here this morning expounding the necessity of remembering. What do we need to remember? Well, we need to remember, as Paul outlines to the church in Ephesus, that he has predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to what? The kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in his beloved. We need to be reminded that in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. We need to be reminded that he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in Christ Jesus with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of all times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. We need to be reminded that we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. We need to remember that he has put all things in subjection under his feet and has given him his head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We need to be reminded and to remember that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world. We need to remember that we followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We need to remember that we formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We need to remember that God has sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. We need to remember that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. We need to remember The second thing that we find in the text this morning is the nature of what must be remembered. And of course, we've just reviewed some of that from other passages. But I think there's something that Peter has for us in verses 16 through 18 uh, that clarify what he is speaking of. Now, he says negatively, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. You know, made up things. Tall tales. Um, there are all sorts of things that come to us that, that seem uh, a myth. I'm told that if you wait four generations, a myth becomes a part of recorded history. Four generations. So we were kind of laughing yesterday with a couple of friends about the tooth fairy and what that tooth fairy looks like. And the tooth fairy is quite horrifying, actually, if you've seen a, a depiction of them. The tooth fairy. Or how about Santa Claus? Or the Easter Bunny? Well, those are fables. Those are myths. Clever, cleverly devised myths. All made up. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not. And why isn't it? Because of the first-hand account of the apostles, as well as something even greater than that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the life, ministry, words, ways, examples, resurrection all rest upon the testimony of people who observed, heard, and experienced those things that they would eventually be persecuted for and one day would die. You would think if they were lying and this was a cleverly devised tale, merely a myth, wouldn't they, when faced with execution, say, I'm not going to continue with my cleverly devised tale. I'm going to acknowledge this is not true. But no, they all died. John was in prison. James was killed. Peter was crucified. Why did they undergo such grisly deaths? Because they believed what they, they preached. They knew to be true what they had given a verbal account of. And so Peter says, For we didn't follow cleverly, cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so he's speaking about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word coming in the Greek is used 18 times in the New Testament. And at no point is it ever used for any other thing other than to speak specifically to the second coming of Jesus. 
So he has in view here the second coming of Jesus Christ. But he has something else in view too. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majesty, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What's he referring to? Matthew chapter 17, Mark chapter 9, when James, John, and Peter were there on that that uh, on the peak of the mount, it was most likely Mount Hermon. It's near Caesarea Philippi on the mountain peak, and the Lord is there. And somehow in that moment, God the Father withdrew the ob- obfuscation of earthly flesh and and of living under the, the this cursed world, and 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 withdrew the veil, and Peter and James and so- John saw Jesus as we will see Jesus in the clouds when he comes again. And they were overwhelmed. James and John say nothing. Peter says, let's erect three tabernacles. And God the Father says to Peter, essentially, be quiet. (laughs) This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. His deity was displayed like the shining of the sun. It's overwhelming. It was so overwhelming that Peter and James and John, James and John, like I said, are silent. And Peter is just being Mr. Wordy. Uh, he's got a lot of things to say. He doesn't know what to do. He's just confused. But he wants to, he wants to live in that experience. Why do you believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a good question this morning. Why do you believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do you believe that he is the Son of God? There are a lot of people around you and and probably within walking distance of the church who do not believe in the deity of Christ. There are churches whole churches that don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, that are mile up the road. Mile this way, mile that way, a mile this way. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the absolute deity of Jesus Christ, that he is the second person of the Trinity. The Mormons believe in Jesus as, as a God, such like you and I will be. They deny the deity, the absolute deity of the Lord Jesus Christ in the sense that He is the eternal Son of God. Pre-existent, always being, always existing. The one who created the earth. The one for whom all things were created according to his glory. I tell you this morning, you shouldn't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ unless you have affirmed and believed In the precise words which God the Father says, you and I believe in the deity of Jesus Christ because the majestic glory God the Father, the transcendent, extraordinary one, has declared that Jesus, the Son of God, is glorified and honored and his beloved Son. The Apostle Peter 
and James and John, the apostles, it's very, very important for us to understand the eyewitness account of all those who affirm the deity of Christ and all the various elements of Christ's life, his words. But the truth of the matter is extraordinarily so because of God's statement from heaven, both at his baptism, but also echoed here in this moment of transfiguration. Peter, James, and John hearing and reporting to us, we ourselves hearing and believing He is not a God. He is the God. He is the only living and true God. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God of the same substance with God the Father and God the Spirit. Well, our God is a being who speaks, and when he speaks, the apex of his revelation is to clarify for us that Jesus Christ is to be glorified and honored as the Son, the only begotten Son of God. There are many voices claiming to speak today for God, even saying that God has given them a contemporary revelation, the word of knowledge. Many tell us that God spoke to me. I heard an audible voice. Well, they're lying to you. When God speaks, he glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. When God speaks, he glorifies the Son of God. When God speaks, he glorifies the apex of revelation. The glorious one, the beautiful one, the glorious Savior who is coming again. When God speaks, he glorifies the eternal Son. And he clarifies that he is well pleased with him, which to you and to me is good news. When God says, I am well pleased in my beloved son, he is essentially saying to you and to me, believe in him. He alone is the source of salvation. He alone is the one in whom I am well pleased. And if you're in Christ and if you're in union with Christ and you belong to Christ and you believed in Christ, And you have the pleasure of God the Father in your very being because Christ lives in you. May God be pleased to lead us to greater faith, to remind us of these things, to remind us that we don't believe some cleverly devised tale, but rather we believe the firsthand accounts of the apostles, and we believe in that voice recorded from heaven, written on the pages of Scripture that spoke and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And if God is well pleased in his Son, and you are united by faith to Christ, then surely the pleasure of God is upon you because of his Son. Let's pray and give thanks. Oh Lord, we pray that you would remind us, that you would help us to remember biblical truths, old gospel paths that perhaps we have grown tired of, or perhaps we have allowed to become old paths that are overgrown and worn out. Lord, remind us, remind us of the gospel, the significance of Christ, and show us anew the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us hear this morning, echoing in our hearts, the majestic glory speaking and saying, well, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him.
Lord, remind us we forget so easily. We forget who we are. We forget that we belong to the Lord. We forget that our lives are hid with Christ. We forget, Lord, even sometimes that we are Christians. And we act like the world. We forget that enmity, you know, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. We forget what we ought to be, that we are to add excellence, moral excellence and knowledge and faith. That we are to add perseverance and self-control. That we are to be increasing in these various ways, that we are to be godly and holy. We forget that you have commanded it. And we forget that if we love you, we'll keep your commandments. If, if we despise you, we'll walk away from them happily, freely. Because we love those things more, like the rich young ruler who walked away from God. Who asked the Lord Jesus Christ and said, what must I do? And the Lord Jesus said, sell all you have and come, follow me. And he departed because he loved his riches. Or of Judas, because though he walked with the Lord for three years and slept with him under the stars and ate with him at table and enjoyed fellowship, nonetheless was lost because his heart was evil. He did not know. He did not remember. He forgot the significance of Christ and the the nature of his own sin. And the judgment of God. But he remembered the judgment of God at the end as he cast himself down. As he hung himself and fell and was dashed upon the rocks. Oh Lord, before we die, remind us and show us what the Bible teaches about God's judgment. And lead us to faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to find relief. Renew us in the word of God. If we have gone apart, if we have drifted from the Lord, if we have wandered away, remind us of the prodigal son who remembers that surely there is grace with my father. Surely there is forgiveness with my father. In my father's house, there is abundantly provided for all who are in need. Remind us that as prodigals, we may return to God, repenting of our sins, acknowledging our sinful condition. And let us know the delight of the Father over us who has reclaimed his lost sheep. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to be awash with joy this morning, this day, in the resplendent statement by the majestic glory, you who are the majestic glory, you who are majesty, you who are glorious. We give thanks that we have believed not cleverly devised tales, but eyewitness accounts of men and women who died for that truth. Therefore, help us to believe. Strengthen our belief. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.